Lord, we just lift up the name of Jesus right now over this house and over every life, over every heart and over every marriage. Because your word says that if we lift you up, you will draw all men to you. Lord, I pray that those that can hear the sound of my voice would hear you and only you. And Lord, that you would teach them your ways, that you would prick their heart in every area of their life where they are not laying down the things that you are requesting of them. And Father, I pray we'd find that place in you where we are only satisfied with one thing. that our entire lives revolve around satisfying Jesus. We thank you for your presence and we thank you for your love and your word. And we ask for your grace to cover this house in peace upon the ears, upon our ears, that we properly interpret what we're hearing as we will continually posture ourselves before you in humility and worship. We come low. And we ask for your grace because we can do not, we can't do this without you, Lord. Even repentance is a gift for me that you have to give to us first. Everything comes from you. We are the originator of nothing. Even our surrender was first pursued by you to us. So we thank you that you're still involved in that pursuit, still chasing down and asking for things of us that you do not yet possess. Reveal those, manifest those as we glorify your name. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. The Lord is good in them, amen. Appreciate you guys. Um, if y'all don't mind, maybe be ready for the end if I bring them back up. Um, for those who want to, for we have a, a Sunday school class. If you want to go back there, if the kids want to go back, you're welcome to do so now. If you don't, if you don't want to, that's fine. But I want to go ahead and get started. I have something on my heart that I felt like the Lord shared with me last night, and it goes a lot with the song structure that we were seeing. And I pray that uh, it ministers to you where you're at. But if you want to turn to John chapter 4, and get your Bibles ready there. Um, I want to discourse here in this text. Uh, John, would you mind get me a thing of water, please? Thank you, bro. It's interesting to me how Jesus continually pursues the things in us he doesn't own, yet he legally had purchased himself. You understand that when the cross was accomplished Jesus at that moment owned everything about you he bought every part of your life he got it back from hell and he gave it right back to you and put it in your lap and he's waiting on you to return it back to him because he's not going to take it forcefully and so that thank you bro so there's things in us that he continually pursues that we don't give him and that's just the constant state of growth in Christianity where we're moving on and God's pursuing something in us that we have not yet surrendered. 
And we, we develop our theology and we develop our Christianity based upon what we gave him 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, even last week. But what he's after is what we haven't yet released. And God will not be satisfied until he has all of you because he didn't die for part of you. His sacrifice was worth everything in you in totality, not in just partiality compared to how you want to give it up and when you want to give it up. Jesus is the king. He owns you. Whether you surrender it or not depends upon how much defiance and rebellion you want to operate while calling yourself a Christian. I stepped on your toes early so that way later on we can get to the good stuff, right? That way you'll forget it by the time we get into something a little more sappy, right? You won't even remember it. A lack of submission is a fullness of rebellion. Rebellion is witchcraft. It's keeping from God what he paid for to rightly own and giving to the enemy what he doesn't deserve, which is your life, your mind, your heart, your emotions, everything about you. Amen? Amen. So with that, I'm going to give you a little bit of pre-context and a little overview before I get into the details of verses in, in John 4. John 4 is an interesting story to me because it outlines the pursuit of God in man when man's not pursuing him. Everybody in here who claims to be a Christian, a follower of Messiah Jesus, you feel like you have somewhat of an ownership of your relationship with the Lord. But the problem is, is you did not originate anything that happened there. He came, found you, interrupted your life, and then grabbed a hold of you in, in so many ways. And then you decided from that moment on how much to give him back. And that's, that's the problem. He gave us everything, we give him something. Not all things. You with me? Can anybody in here actually raise your hand and say, I've totally surrendered absolutely everything to Jesus and I obey him and if he asks anything, I do it. That's the problem with modern Christianity is we've been okay with a middle ground reality. We've been okay with only giving Jesus what we're comfortable with, yet Jesus is obsessed with you. He loves you in every part of you. He loves the parts of you that you don't love. And he wants everything that you possess. In fact, he had it at one moment, but he gave it away to you. He gained it at the cross and he gave it back to you. He gave you all your authority, all your power, all your freedom, all your victory, all everything. He gave it back to you. Why? Because the only way he wants anything from you is by a willing surrender. You, in that merry sense, like, like Tyler was talking about earlier, laying that at his feet willingly. And this story is interesting, so interesting to me because there's so much in it. This is the story of, of, of modern Christianity. You have a woman here in this story who is serving God. Okay, people think this Samaritan woman, when they read this story, they come away feeling like she's a heathen. She was a worshiper. However, she was fully involved in immorality. How can you be a worshiper of God and be fully Im involved in immorality? I don't know. Ask 21st century American church. She seems to have figured out how to do it. You with me? Your service to God means nothing without your submission to him. Your service to God means nothing without your submission to him. If we're not submitted to him, then serving him is just an appeasement of our own conscience. Submission is everything in Christianity because that's exactly how Jesus won your victory. He submitted to something that the rest of us ran from, i.e. the cross. 
He submitted to his enemy instead of blaspheming Judas and, and everything else. He surrendered to those things. And out of that surrender came victory. And that's the kingdom of God. But most modern Christians are more understanding of how to operate culturally and socially than they are in the kingdom realm. The kingdom requires you to be a sacrifice for someone who's not worthy of your sacrifice. That's what the kingdom demands. Jesus doesn't care how many years you've served him in ministry. Listen, I promise you, the only ministry you're going to be doing in heaven is to him. There won't be pastors and evangelists, Sunday school programs and kids' church. and It'll be Jesus. And if we haven't learned how to minister to him here, then we're going to be unfamiliar with how to do it there. And we're going to have to be taught certain things. I've even heard stories of people, whether they're true or not, it, it begs to the, the, the reality of, of the possible truth here, that people have died and they went to heaven and they, they come back and they realize that, that there were certain people there that had to learn things in the kingdom of God there in heaven because they never learned them on earth. They never learned how to be submitted to the king. They got saved just because of the cross alone, by Jesus' sacrifice alone. Nothing they did helped their lifestyle. It was only by the blood of God and the mercy of God. The rest of their works just completely burnt. Standing before the great I am with nothing to offer except what Jesus did for them because they sacrificed nothing, especially their own opinions of God. And so this woman is fully immersed in worship. She's fully immersed in theological accuracy. She gets very, if you know the story, she gets very intellectual with Jesus at some point. It turns to a mental stimulation of, of, of what's right and what's wrong based upon the service of God. And God doesn't care anything about any of that. See, Jesus shows up in this story for one reason alone. He sees a broken woman who's trapped in religion who's trapped in a false service of him, and he knows that she is desperate and broken and destroyed on the inside. On the outside, though, she's doing all of her business and showing up at church and being a worshiper and asking all these theological questions. But inside, she's busted. And Jesus shows up on this scene, and he waits at this well specifically for one reason and one reason alone. He sends his disciples into town. He says, no, I've got a meeting here. You go ahead and go. Let me just say it this way. God is waiting at your well. He's waiting for you to show up in your busyness, in your idolatry, in your theological accuracy, in your immorality, and all the other things that you're doing to yourself and everybody around you. He's sitting at your well waiting for you to show up. In the monotony and the mundane things in your life, he's waiting for you in that moment. Why? Because he knows you need him more than you actually believe you do. Because I'm, I'm telling you, one of the most deceiving things that you can actually be involved with is ministry. Because it makes you feel like you're doing something for God instead of doing something with God. Working with him is different than working for him. Working for him will deceive you. Working with him will change you. You with me? Okay, let's, let's start in verse 6. You guys make it there? God is calling us to lay some things down in our lives. 
And I don't know how many times and ways I can preach this type of message with a different an angle, but it's going to be there until we finally lay them down. So in verse 6, it says this. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being wearied from his journey, imagine that. You know, God gets tired of pursuing you sometimes. And I don't mean tired of, like, not wanting to do it anymore, but it wears him out in that theological sense, emotional sense. You know, I heard a pastor tell a story one time about how he was driving along a road. There was a car way in front of him, and this car slowed down, not to a complete stop, but this car slowed down in front of him, and all of a sudden this door opens up, and this guy kicks this dog out on the highway and then just starts driving off. And this dog rolls into the ditch and slams against the ditch wall, jumps up and begins to pursue and run after that car with everything that's inside of him. And God spoke to this pastor. He says, that's what you're doing to me. And that's what my church is doing to me. And he's watched that dog get up and run after the one who hurt him. He said, that's my pursuit of you. You're kicking me out of your life and your marriage and your finances. You make your decisions without me. You do all these things without me. You're kicking me to the side and I'm constantly chasing you. And there's times where Jesus gets weary sitting at our well waiting for us to show up. You know why? Because this well is dug by man. This story revolves around a geographical location where men had to go and find their own water. And this man is sitting. There's a paradox here. This man, as the li living water, the river of life, this man who is the source of all life, is sitting next to a hand-dug, putrid, stagnant source of life. The irony is massive. Which one are you going to drink from, woman? And she comes expecting to continue to drink from the same thing that she's drank from her entire life because it's familiar. But it never satisfies her. Have you ever been involved in some form of Christianity that has only left you empty, but it's familiar, so you return? You check your, your box because you don't want to go to hell, but you know there's something more. You're involved in ministry and outreach, and you're helping all these people, but inside you are decimated. You have all the right answers for everybody else, but you cannot solve your own issues. This is what it means to drink from Jacob's well. I'll get there, but in Isaiah, it says, my people have committed two evils. One of them, it says they've, they've, they've tried to draw water from broken cisterns. In other words, we're trying to hold on to everything that we have in our life, and we're trying to save that up, and we're trying to collect something of the earth to be able to satisfy ourselves instead of drinking from him. And that's exactly what this woman's doing. Listen to me. This woman is a picture of modern-day Christianity. She's involved in worship. She's involved in service. She's involved in, in uh, going to the right places. This well was a holy place to them. It was a place of heritage, of example, of, 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 of resource and life. And yet she is miserable. I cannot tell you how many Christians, Christians, at least self-proclaimed Christians, whether they're truly born again or not, the day will declare it. Come to me in counseling sessions, and they are miserable. They have no peace. 
but they're involved actively in worship and service and this theological discourse, and they can talk to you and, and debate you. And they have their own uh, corner market on the hermeneutics of how they, they see Scripture, and, and, but, but they can't fix their own marriage. They can't get their children to obey. They can't stop the inner rage inside of them. They can't find that place where they finally surrender to the Lord. And says, so Jesus was wearied from his journey, and where was he going? Why was he tired? He was tired because he was after her. <laughs> he was coming to her, and it took a long time to get there. He had one goal, one purpose for that day. It wasn't to go to town. It wasn't to go be with his disciples. He, had, he woke up that, woman, that morning with that woman on his mind, and he made a great journey to get there, and it wore him out. But he didn't care. He went anyway because he loved her before she loved him, even though she, he knew that she was not worshiping him the right way, even though he knew that she was totally deceived in how. This is modern Christianity. This is you and me. Nobody in this room doubts your opinion. In fact, you're staunchly set in it, and that's your problem. You will defend it to your core, but it's not fixing your life. If your theology is so that perfect and awesome, why isn't it changing the structure and the core of who you are as a person? and your family, and your marriage, and your finances, and your community. Because it's not. It's just an opinion. And we'll die on some of those molehills. Slaughtering everybody around us just to hold that one truth on Jacob's well when the, the source of life is right in front of us and we can't see it. You know how many times Jesus shows up and we don't even know he's there? In your circumstances? Both of them are tired. She's tired. She comes in the middle of the day. You know why? Because she's a Samaritan. The Jews come to that well in the morning when, before it gets hot because that well was well outside of town. And so she's coming in the middle of the day. Why? To avoid the criticism of the Jews because she's a half-breed. So she knows there's something wrong with her. But yet she's staunch in her political and theological opinions. Isn't that crazy? Does that sound like you? Yeah, I know you don't want to agree either, but it sounds like me. I don't get a lot of amens when it comes to those types of statements. It's amazing. Not a whole lot of amens when it comes to self-exposure, right? It was noon. It was hot. This is not the time to draw water. But both of them are on a collision course because Jesus set his compass toward her. And God has set his compass toward you. And he doesn't care about your theological worship. And he doesn't care about your years of service and ministry. He doesn't care whether you're a pastor or a leader or an evangelist or you're just saved. He cares about the level of submission that you've given him. Verse 7. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus, listen, this is amazing to me. Verse 7, Jesus looks at her and he's asking her for something. Who starts the conversation? Who started the conversation in your life? 
And when he comes and he starts the conversation in your life, he's always going to do one thing. He's going to ask you for something. You know what he's asking for? He's asking for that stagnant, dead water that she thinks is her life source. He wants it. Not because it's going to satisfy him, because it's killing her. That's why he wants it. He wants it because it's killing her, not because it's going to satisfy him. Give me what you have, even though it's, it's not going to satisfy me. I want what you have because I love you so much, I don't want to see you die. What you're doing is killing you. How you're living is killing you. How you're worshiping is killing you. How you're going to church is killing you. How you frame and context me in your life is killing you. Give it to me. I want it. Give me a drink, he says. See, you know, most Christianity spends their entire life trying to satisfy themselves, and Jesus is like, what about me? I gave you everything. Give me a drink. Give me something from your life. A God that would humble himself to the point that he would need something from me has my attention. Do you realize how much humility that took? The ancient of days, the living water, the bread of life, the one who knows no death, who has no time constraints, comes down here, secures himself into a permanent mortal body, dies, gets a recreated body, forever human, never able to go back to his former state, forever human. From that moment till eternity, without end, forever human. Just the gate you and me. He gave up so much. Not just heaven. He never lost heaven. People think, you know, oh, you know, uh, that he gave up heaven to come. No, he didn't give up. He was always going to return to heaven. You know what he gave up? He gave up his eternal uh, uh, structure as God. And he became a human. Forever encapsulating himself in the form of humanity. Never able to go back to what he was before. Just to gain you and I. Just to be one with us. Just to know what it meant to be tired. He wanted, He looked at us and loved us once. And he, you know, I can see God in, in, in heaven and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they're talking and, and, and they're like, we understand humans from an uh, educated standpoint. We built them. We, we know them. We know the intricacies of them. We know how many cells and atoms they have in their body. But we don't know what it's like to be tired. We don't know what it's like to live under sin. And we don't know what it's like to suffer. What does it say about the Bible? It says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And they realized that there was so much about us they didn't understand from an experiential standpoint, not an educational standpoint, that God became man so he could fully understand who we are, what we are, how we have to go through things. And yet we didn't return the favor. We only have an educational relationship with God, not an experiential one. You say, what are you talking about, Chad? I've, had, I've experienced Jesus. Yeah, but has your experience made you like him? Because I know lots of people that were at the altar in my church 20-something years ago, weeping and belly sobbing and crying, and now they're my greatest enemies, and they don't act like Jesus. Just because God touches you, that doesn't mean anything. 
the touch has to be married to surrender. And there's so many people who've been involved in ministry for a long period of time and they feel like, well, I know this sermon, so therefore they, they shut it off when they should be the sermon, not understand the sermon. And if they can't be that thing in their marriage or their, or their home life, then they don't understand their own theology. And they have a, a relationship with God much like this woman. Give me something to drink. Jesus is pursuing us, asking for something from our life. You with me? Are you giving it to him? Or are you still withholding that thing? But it's scary, God, or I don't know how, or it doesn't matter. What matters is if you're willing. And sometimes you have to start with, I'm willing to be willing. For his disciples, verse 8, went to the city to buy food. It's interesting that in this context of scripture, we have one group of people looking for physical sustenance and another looking for water, food and water, things that satisfy the flesh. And the Samaritan woman said, how is it that you ask for me a drink? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman. Because Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. See, this is, the, this, is how, this is how they overlay it. This is what it looks like. Follow me now. Everybody in here, you claim to love Jesus. But I promise you, there's some place in your life where you don't feel worthy of him because of how you see your sin. True? And you say, you know, why are you asking me? I'm just this. I'm just a sinner. Why, are you, why do you want my life, God? Because I'm just so bad and I've made so many mistakes and I'm so horrible. And we want to actually start teaching God how to be God. That's what she's doing. You don't need to be involved in my life. I'm too horrible and too wicked and too unholy. And, and why, why would you want anything to do with me? But yet she didn't know she was saying that to God, did she? And you don't know you're saying it either when you have the disposition. I love cracking brains open and watching them pop and explode because that's called repentance. And you see something and you go, whoa, I think I need to look at this differently, change how I think, right? Because some of you are getting it, right? What is he after? What you haven't surrendered. Why is he at your will? Because he wants something from you. He's not there just to touch you. He's there to change you. Does this make sense? Oh, we have such, such great relationships with unworthiness, don't we? In fact, I think most Christians' relationship with unworthiness is stronger than their relationship with Jesus. And you know how we offset that unworthiness? Ministry. Service. You can work for God so greatly that you can actually end up ignoring him. Oh, but he'll use you. And that seems to be your justification. Why? Because he'll use anything. He'll use a donkey if he has to. And some of us, at certain times in our life, our ministry has been nothing more than donkey worship. God using us just because we're there. 
I want God to show up because I'm there, not, not in spite of, of, of me. I want him to show up because of me, not in spite of me. There's so many times where we're used by God just in spite of who we are because he just needs the person we're talking to. And then we take that as condoning of how we're, how we're living our life. You understand what I'm saying? Verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God. Stop right there. Just look at that for a second. Just stare at that. If you knew the gift of God. See, some of y'all in here don't even know the gift of God. Do you know him or do you just know about him? If you knew the gift of God, you would be asking me different questions. If you really knew me, you would be asking for something more than what you're asking for. You know how, you know, when people pray for their marriage to be fixed, they're asking for Jacob's well. They're asking for the water to get fixed somehow. Cleanse my well. You know what happened when Elisha threw the branch in the water and it made it sweet, right? Fix our source. You know how you fix your marriage? It's real simple. You actually surrender to Jesus yourself. You think, no, I am. No, you're submitted to your theology and your opinions of how your marriage is working and how things are going right and wrong and what your wife should and shouldn't do and what your husband should and shouldn't do. And that has nothing to do with a good marriage. A good marriage has everything to do with a person surrendering themselves to the king and willing to be a doormat, if possible, for the rest of their life because that's what Jesus would do. They're not trying to fix a source from which they draw from, they're letting Jesus fix them as the source for somebody else to draw from. You with me? You know why you have a bad marriage? Because you're the problem. I'm sorry, it's just truth. But what's the solution? He says, if you knew what you were at, if you knew what I had for you, you'd be asking me for something else. You'd be asking me for living water. You know why living water is so important in the New Testament? Because living water doesn't have a container unless it's you. You are God's well. And she is bone dry. And she's coming to Jacob's well. And Jesus in the living water, he uses you as his resource. He fills you. This is what he says. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You are his well. He says, if you let me fill you, you would give me this thing I'm asking for willingly. <laughs> you would never want it again. You know why? Because when God fills you, you don't care about having a good marriage anymore because all you want is him. And then all of a sudden your marriage is fixed. It's amazing. It seems like it's like Matthew 6, 33, that when you take care of his stuff, he just takes care of yours. You seek first my kingdom and my glory, my honor, my power, my righteousness, and then I'll, I'll take care of the rest of this. Right? Our priorities are out of, out of order, and we're okay with that because we have proper theology. The study of God does nothing but elevate the human mind. The submission to God, that gets to the heart. You with me? 
if you knew the gift of God and he was saying this, you give me a drink, you would have asked me that I would give you this living water. He, she says, listen to this. Again, she's discoursing with God and she's going to correct him because she doesn't even know who she's talking to. Much like us, when we pray, we don't even know who we're talking to. Just because you're addressing God doesn't mean you're praying. You can address God and complaining and it not be prayer. Right? Just because you put in Jesus' name at the end of something doesn't mean it's true praying. Okay? So here's, he says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Now let's look at it from how he's looking at it. He's looking at her as the well. She's looking at the physical thing being fixed as the well, and she's saying, you, this thing in me is so deep and so bad, you can't even touch it. Like, you're not going to get to this in me. This, is, this problem is too deep. You have no resources. You have no access. You're out of your league here. And there's so many Christians that take on that mindset. That you have a problem in your life, and it seems so big that you think, I mean, theologically, if I asked you, is, is this possible for God to fix this? You're going to tell me, yes. But in your heart, you don't believe he's going to. It's just like when I ask somebody, you know, I go up and say, hey, do you believe God heals? If they're sick, do you believe God heals? Well, yeah, I believe God heals. But do you believe God will heal you? Then there's a pause. Why? Because, well, I'm too bad, or I'm, too, I'm not worthy enough, or I'm, I'm not holy enough, or I'm not righteous enough, or I'm, I'm not good enough, or, or, you know, I'm, uh, or my situation's too hard. It can't be fixed, or it's, too, it's been too long. I've been dealing with this for 20 years. Remember that one with the issue of blood? How long has she been dealing with that? You remember that, that guy sitting at the gate beautiful there, the, the pool of Siloam? How long? His whole life. Jesus says, get up and walk. When you meet the master, you meet your destiny. Verse 12, he says, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? All right, listen. How many of you theologically agree that God's bigger than your problems? How many of you actually live like that? You see what I'm saying? We create a comfort zone in our theologies to make us feel like we're believing the right thing when we're not even really believing. You know what faith is? It's putting in practice the submission and surrender that which you've offered God. You put yourself on the line because you know he's going to show up for you because you're confident of how much he loves you. Great faith is, all, is always, always rooted in great love. If you have weak faith, it's always rooted in weak love. And Jesus says in verse 14, whoever drinks of this water that, that I give him will never be thirsty again. Sounds good, right? He will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. See, at this point, he's not interested in anything that she's done. She's not, he's not interested in her worship. He knows everything about her already. He hasn't even asked. He knows she goes to church. He knows all these things, he know, but he also knows she's miserable. And it's possible to go to church and worship and feel the presence of God because somebody else brings the anointing in the room, but when you go home, there's no anointing access because you aren't submitted to him. You're more familiar with the demon, the voice of the devil, the voice of, the, of, of unworthiness, the voice of rejection, the voice of fear, the voice of this, the voice of that. And you got to come to church to get your fix because you don't have enough of a submissive relationship to get the anointing in your room. 
Let me ask you a question. Anytime God shows up in your prayer closet, it's always one reason, always one reason why he shows up because there's something inside of you that breaks before he shows up. You get there and you, God, I can't do this. And he's asking you for something. And then you finally go, okay. And then there he comes. What you're withholding is keeping from you the thing that you say you want. Because you're afraid to give it up because it's familiar, it's comfortable. It's something you've done for a long time or it's something you're not sure you can live without or it's a fear, or it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a exposing that you're not comfortable of having, a vulnerability. How vulnerable do you think you're naked? How many women in here are okay with vulnerability, being completely vulnerable? I've never met one yet. Not one woman I've ever met in my entire life is okay with vulnerability. But do you realize invulnerability is your greatest strength? Jesus becoming vulnerable for us saved the entire world. Jesus took a feminine position when he went to Gethsemane and the cross. It was a role of submission. And by that submission, he saved the entire planet. You want to save your marriage? You want to save your children? You want to save things in your life? Become vulnerable again. Be like the master. There were in has elevated this feminine aspect to the point where they have to be exactly like men and they have to be strong. If you do that, you are divorcing your God-given strength. And you'll never be what God has asked you to be because I'm telling you something, a submitted woman is a powerful woman. Trust me, I'm married to one. There, there's a, there, let me just tell you a quick rabbit trail story with what happened to me. We had a disagreement. We don't fight. We haven't ever fought in, in 18 years of marriage, but we had a disagreement one day on, on how to go about something. And she said, no, I don't think we need to do that. We need to go this way and do this. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing it this way. And it got a little tense. But at that, at that point, you know what she did? If she would have come at me even harder, I would have just, nope. We're done. The fact that you're fighting me even proves even more we're going this way. Follow or get out of the way. That's just the kind of person I am. I'm sorry if that offends you. I'm not married to you, so I'm not worried about it. But here's the thing. <clears throat> here's what she did. She comes and she says, okay, whatever you decide, if you're wrong and take our family through it, I'll walk with you and we'll go through it together. And that stopped me instantly in my tracks and I started and I stopped and I said, you know what? I better make sure I'm right. So I backed off my defiance of going this way and I backed off and I thought, well, Lord, am I, am I wrong? I don't wanna leave my family wrong, you know? And it caused me to open my mind and have a different position on where I was at and, and, I, and I actually made a different decision through the power of submission. You with me? This is so powerful when we operate like Jesus, but this culture does not reward that. You know why the proverb says a wise woman builds her house and a foolish one tears it down? You know why it says woman and not man? Because honestly, in those realms, in the house, the woman has way more authority and power than the man ever does. Way more. Women have the power to build and to tear down. That's why we're called the church. 
the bride. We're supposed to build the house of God as the bride of Christ. Amen? Okay. All right, I, I got to hurry up. Y'all are religious. I got to get at you out here a little after 12. The restaurants are going to be full. Okay. So she says in verse 15, give me the water, right? I don't want to go through this stuff anymore. I don't want to have to come here in my life anymore. She's finally getting something. She's hearing something in the resonance of Jesus. And she's like, okay, I'm willing to let go of all this stuff now if, if you'll give me something different. And so she finally comes to that place where she's open, right? She's like, okay, I want what you have. And you know what? Here's what he says. What's he say? What's he say? Verse 16. In other words, what are you submitted to? What are you made covenant with? See, all her theology is now ruined by that one statement. See, this is, this is a woman's a worshiper. She goes to church and she sings. I'm probably, she's probably on the front row dancing with her hands in the air. But she's in adultery. It's possible to have a very formatted following of Jesus Christ and not be right with him. Go call your husband. In other words, I want you, I want to expose what you've made covenant with because it's killing you. You're not submitted to anything but your own opinion. This woman has had five. Why? Because when this one doesn't work, I'll go somewhere here. And when this one doesn't work, I'll go over here. And that's what people do at church. I don't like that church because I don't agree with that. Listen, you're not gonna agree with any church unless you're the leader. And then you'll only agree with yourself. And then you'll just tell, take everybody else down the wrong trail. There's always gonna be something you disagree with. And half the time when you disagree with something, it's because you're wrong and you're just too juvenile to admit it and see it. Well, that sounds arrogant. Well, no, because when you, when you get a minister or a leader that's standing on the word of God, everybody's wrong but the word. Well, I don't interpret it that way. I don't care. My Bible says that scripture's not given for private interpretation. You don't get to decide what it means. That's what my Bible says. I don't know, you might read a different Bible. I have people all the time, I'll, I'll show the Bible, I'll tell, I'll show, this is what scripture, well, I just disagree with that. And then they, then they pull out a book that some man wrote and say, well, this is what this guy says. Well, I don't give a crap what that guy says. This is what the word of God says. And so Jesus is saying, what have you made covenant with and what are you submitted to? And there's so many Christians in here that we're submitted to our experiences and we're submitted to our opinions and we're submitted to this. And if it doesn't work, we're gonna run. Show me someone who runs and I'll show you someone who loves the darkness. Just ask Adam and Eve. The moment they sin, the first response and knee-jerk reaction, they run to the shadows. Run and hide. But if you asked Adam and Eve, do you love God? Oh, I love God. Why are you in the shadows? Lots of Christians love God, but they're in the shadow. Am I resonating with you? And you guys are like really quiet. I mean, you're either really convicted or really mad, or both. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right, you have no husband. You've had five. In other words, I've been watching you for a long time. <laughs> this wasn't just a prophetic statement that I, I'm getting a word of knowledge. You've had five husbands. No, he's watched her life every moment of it. 
And he's wept over every decision she's made. Here she goes again. Here she goes again. Here she goes again. And at some point he got up that day and said, I got to go rescue her because she's going to kill herself. And then here she gets religious on him. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She's wrong again. He's a king. See that knee-jerk response? Well, I was saved. We have all these little insulated comments that we use to keep the pastor at bay from conviction. Well, I, 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 I perceive you're a prophet. You're not submitted. You're not surrendered. You can be saved but not surrendered. Do you realize that? You can be saved just by the, the cross of Jesus alone, but not ever surrendered to that cross, not ever submitted to that cross, not ever carrying it yourself and laying down your life. In Jeremiah, I referenced it earlier, and I got the notation wrong. Forgive me for that. Verse, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out themselves to themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. He says they commit two things wrong. They've forsaken me and they've tried to fill themselves with something other than me and they're constantly broken. You with me? And then she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem. So she's getting into semantics now. This is where I love when I get baby Christians arguing semantics of, of things that are well, way beyond their, their league with me. I, I love that when that happens. It's awesome. They want to tell me how to run leadership when they haven't been saved more than a year. It's hilarious. Our fathers worshiped on Miss Mountain, but you say that. Well, where should we worship? She, now she wants, to, she wants to, to, to work on her geographical location of being accurate and right and everything else. And he's like, look, it has nothing to do with where you're placed or where you're at. It has everything to do with what spirit you're of. And you're dead. He says, the hour's coming and now here when the worshipers of God will worship in spirit and truth for the Father seeks, listen to this, seeks, verse, uh, what is it, 20, 23, he seeks such people to worship him. What was he doing in this, in this chapter? He was seeking who? Her. He was seeking her and he's seeking you. Why? Because he wants your worship to actually be pure and true. Your worship can't be pure until you are. A tainted person releases tainted worship. Singing the right song is not worship. Worship is the attitude and the posture of a heart that's humbled before God. It's offering themselves as a sacrifice. You guys understand that, right? Remember Genesis? Abraham, first law first mentioned. Come on, boy, we're gonna go worship First time worships ever mentions this scripture. They're gonna go sacrifice his greatest. We, 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 barely, we, we are hardly, listen guys, we, you hardly even lay down your sin. And God's not asking for that. He's asking for your Isaac. Amen. What's your Isaac look like? Your future, your children, things you don't wanna give up, things that you think you own, things that you think God gave you, your ministry, the things that came from God that you got only from God, your calling, your gifting, those things that you think are yours, that you think that you can just use, your evangelical gift or your gift of worship or this or that, you think you own that? 
You don't own it. It's on loan. You with me? Listen to this. After he says this, in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. She says, I know that Messiah comes. When he tells us, he'll tell us all things. And she, he says, I am, who, I am he who speaks to you. Listen to this. Verse 28. This is what God wants. This is the whole agenda of the story. This is what God was after the entire time. This is the entire time. So the woman left her water pot. She laid it down. You know why? Because she didn't need it anymore. She was full. And you know where she went and when she laid her water pot down? She wasn't concerned about bringing that water. And that water, water pot in the Greek means a vessel for a family. She wasn't bringing water back to her people anymore through a pot. She runs back to town, giving them a different kind of water. She let go of the cisterns and the broken cisterns and all the things, and she realized how I'm living, how I'm worshiping, what I'm doing, it's all wrong, but now I've met the man, and now I know how to worship, and you need to meet him too. Come on up, you guys. I just wanna give a, a, a moment here, because I know, I, I, in fact, I don't know a person in this room who this doesn't apply to. Now, depending on your religious position, pride, or whatever it might be, you'll decide whether you want to answer this call or not. But I'm telling you something. Jesus wants you to meet him at your will. And there's some place in your life still, still, where we haven't laid these things down, where we're drinking from things that are poisoning our life, where we're scared to make certain decisions, or we're scared to go certain ways of faith, or whatever it might be. We're scared to lay down our children. We're scared to lay down these things. We're scared to lay down our idols before God, or we're, or we're more worshiping unworthiness than we are Him. We're, we're constantly feeding these things into ourselves, and God is like, look, enough, enough. I've walked a long ways to get to you in your life right now. Will you let go and and put your pot down and become the vessel that I want to make you into. Because when you lay your pot down, you become the vessel. And then everybody else will drink from you, just like they did from her. Come meet the man who I met and changed my life. I'm telling you, this woman was running through town, screaming at the top of her lungs, Knocking on doors, pounding on doors. Come, you gotta meet him. He's here now. Don't miss your moment. He's gonna leave. Come to the well. Come. And people came. And I hope you can hear that in your spirit. With the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit and the bride say, come, come, meet this man. Lay it down. I don't care about what you've experienced before in the past. Those are the greatest things of missing God in your moment is looking at what God gave you yesterday. Come meet the man. If that's you, I just want you to come forward. And I want to have a couple people um, pray over you. If there's something you don't need prayer for, but you just want to lay here at the altar just for a minute and say, Jesus, I'm laying down my pot. I want to be the vessel. I don't know how to do this, but I want to do it. And I want to be everything that you've caused me to be. I don't want to just have a relationship with you where I'm constantly laying down my sin. I want a relationship with you where I'm laying down myself.
just come on, I'm not going to drag it out. If that's you, come. And if it's not, you can stay. This isn't about whether you're saved or whether you're not or whether you weren't saved or whether you were. This is about you meeting the man in the moment right now. This is not about questioning anything in your life. It's about you answering the call of the Holy Spirit. And if you felt anything in your heart pricking you inside about this is you, this is you. This is your version of Christianity. This is your version of, of the gospel. And I want to change it. I want to give you life and I want to restore you and I want you to stop running from me and I'm here at your well and I want to change your life and I'm tired of you drinking from things that only poison your spirit and your mind and your marriage. I want you to know me and not your version of me. I want to be real to you. I want to give you something that's going to make you a resource to others, not a deprivation to yourself. No man can do this for you. No laying on of the hands can do this for you. It's a moment between you and that man in your life, and his name is Jesus. Some of you have been running. Some of you have been hiding behind your theology and your service and all the things you've done for the Lord. And he's like, I don't care about that. If you work for me your entire life and I lose you, I've gained nothing. God is so jealous for us. And it's an illegality for us to withhold something from him that he owns. So master, we just come to you and we say, we surrender our water pots to you. We surrender our vessels, our broken cisterns, the things we're drinking from, the things, and we don't even know what they might be, but Holy Spirit, I just ask that you reveal those now between you and them. That not only sin, but Lord, Isaacs would be laid on the altar this morning, that we would let go of the things in our lives that, are, that we have confidence in, that we are good at, that we would even surrender that because we want to be neutral. We want to lay at your feet. We want to just be with you at that well. We want to be at, at, at that table with you with no other agenda than just you fully owning us. And then when you fully own us, the things that we prayed for you to fix will naturally just come into alignment. I've heard Jesus recently ask several people that I've responded to and I've talked to them this question. He wanted me to ask them this question. I'm gonna ask it to you this morning. Jesus was asking, am I enough? Am I enough? If I don't answer any more of your prayers, if I don't fix all your problems, if I don't do any of this stuff, then I don't, if I don't heal your broken cisterns, am I enough? Am, am I enough? Am I enough for you? Just you, just you and me, am I enough? Your journey will get so much easier when your answer is yes. Yes, Lord, you are enough. Just you, just you.
Some of you are so busy trying to fix your problems and fix people and fix things and get involved. And every time you do, God backs out. He's not going to share his glory with you. He's either going to do it or, or it's not going to get done. Don't try to fix people. Don't try to fix yourself. Just come to the king and surrender. Leave, it, leave the rest to him, no matter how painful it is. Just leave it to him, and he'll work it out. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, God, that we found you at, at our well, that you were already there. And we don't even have a, a leg to boast on, a stand on whenever we say we, we found the Lord. No, we didn't, you found us. You were already there. You were waiting on us. And, and we, we know that is a token of your love. And so we appreciate you being in those places in our life where we're just tired and broken and ruined and, and, and still involved in service. But we're, we're just, we're wore out. And you restore us and you give us new life and you give us new purpose and you make us a willing vessel and you fill us with life and power. And then ministry is a reflex, not a responsibility. So heal your people, restore your people, meet them where they're at, Lord, right now. And I just ask that you touch tender hearts and you begin to move on people in this next week that they wouldn't forget these things you're speaking to them. But Father, that you would just hover over them and overshadow them, heal them breathe life into them, fill them. We bless you and we honor you and we thank you. In Jesus' holy name.